Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Adam Whitlam from BMO's fixed income sales team. This episode is titled A 50-50 Proposition. I'm Ben Reitzes, and you're listening to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading team to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Hi, Adam. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Ben. It is great to be back. Uh, We get the Bank of Canada next week. And so this is our Bank of Canada preview show. Uh, Like the last meeting, we have no clue what they're going to do. Pretty much going in uh, 50-50. It really does still hinge on Friday's employment report. So that that could change everything. So no clue is a little bit extreme, obviously. But uh, it, it really could go either way, depending on which way jobs go. Why don't we start with your thoughts on the bank? Because I know they're a little different than mine. Yeah. So um, in terms of the Bank of Canada, I mean, if you want the best trade, just take the street consensus and they'll do the opposite because that that seems to be the the trend that we've had with the Bank of Canada this go around. Uh, I don't know if it's that they want to keep the street kind of on their toes uh, and, uh, you know, expect the unexpected. But that seems to be the most reliable trade in terms of uh, trading meeting gaps. So when I looked uh, a little earlier, we were around 72 percent priced. Uh, for a hike next week in terms of OIS. Uh, you know, consensus on the street uh, is a little divided. I've heard, I think it's a little better than 50-50. It's probably 60-40 in terms of a, a hike, favor for a hike. You know, part of those reasons are, um, you know, the, the bank, you know, they went in June while the data has showed some slowing trends, particularly when it comes to inflation uh, or inflation expectations as were outlined in the BOS. It's not enough. The slowing has been moderate you know, the outright levels remain too high or higher than the bank should be comfortable with. And there's been questions about, you know, at some point, will the bank expand the comfort band around inflation expectations? And, and, you know, will they lean toward favoring a higher ongoing inflation rate rather than a lower one? And the bank seems to be pushing back on that. 2% is still the inflation target for the bank. So, you know, that makes me lean toward them looking to hike again next week, another 25 basis points when they can also update their forecast. I think it's worth noting, you know, the GDP flash estimates kind of came in a little bit higher than expected. We're looking for Q2 growth to come in above what the bank is expecting. That's a bit of a lever. It kind of highlights that consumer demand isn't really waning despite the higher interest rates that they've seen. Now, they've acknowledged it takes more time for these costs to kind of flow through the economy, but they've also been big proponents about the psychology of inflation expectations and and having to nip that in the bud early. So I think if the market's going to give them the cover to go 25 more basis points, that they'll take it. So two things you mentioned there, I'm going to I'm going to key on. One, levels and and the other is time. With respect to levels, so the level of inflation, the level of inflation expectations still most definitely too high. However, they have come down, and, and I'll, I'll give the flip side of this in a second also, but uh, inflation expectations in particular have continued to trend lower. I think that that's unambiguous from both the consumer survey and the business outlook survey, uh, that both of those which came out last week uh, pointed in the same direction, which is encouraging 
That being said, again, levels of both are still too high. So is the trajectory enough to get the bank to, to maybe pause here again? Because things are going in the right direction and rate hikes take time to have an effect. And so that's what brings us to the time factor. And how patient is the bank going to be? And, and I think that that's really the question for, for all of this uh, and, and for all central banks. It's like, do they raise rates more immediately to force inflation down as quickly as possible? Or are they willing to be patient and let prior rate hikes fully flow through the system, knowing full well that there is an impact coming? Like you can see very well that on the mortgage side of things, like there is going to be a bite over the next six months, 12 months, 24 months. Like it is coming. There's no no question there. Uh, it's just a question of how how bad it gets, and, and that'll be determined by how how far they push rates higher. Uh, and so, it just are they going to be patient enough to wait? Are they willing to tolerate inflation expectations sticking at three percent for maybe a little bit longer? I also lean toward no on that, but as as kind of as Adam noted, but uh, there's a question of how much pain they really want to inflict on households, and and I think that's a reasonable question to ask. And there have been some signs of a few cracks here and there insolvencies, uh, which had gone up a lot in March, came down in April, went right back up in May, uh, and business insolvencies uh, even even higher uh, on, on, on a historical basis uh, than, than consumer insolvencies, which are more in the, the kind of no, back into a normal range. Uh, and and beyond that, there there's you could argue that, that maybe you're seeing some softening on the job front. We'll get that on Friday. We'll see. Uh, I'm not really convinced there. Overall, I think the balance still tilts toward a rate hike. But it, it's not as clear cut as it seems. There's enough uncertainty there that that you could make a really good argument for them to wait. And uh, the Business Outlook survey highlighted that excess demand is fading, inflation expectations are slowing, wage growth is pulling back as well, and corporate pricing behavior is normalizing. None of those things are where they need to be again, but they're all going in the right direction. And those are the things the bank highlighted in their statement that they want to see. So they're getting exactly what they want. They're just not at the end point yet. Is that enough? I don't have an answer. Jobs probably determine whether they go or not. So you get a, a, a decent enough job print with decent enough wage growth. They probably hike 25. You get an, a softer report like last month, even if the details weren't quite as bad, uh, and they, then they probably hold off. Uh, but then if they pause, that begs a different question. Well, why did they even go 25 last month? Is 25 beeps enough to make any difference at all? If things are already cracking, it's because of what they had done previously. And I would argue the 25 beeps they did in June would be a mistake. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's 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 a tough question. I think we're um, the bank is faced with a pretty pretty meaningful dilemma here. Hiking 25 buys them insurance. They can pause after that for probably six months. And so that that seems like the most reasonable path. But as you said, they like to go opposite of consensus. And they did that last month. And that wouldn't shock me if they did it again this month, I guess. Who knows? Yeah, I think the psychology behind taking a pause at this meeting would probably be a mistake. I mean, you, you, you're in a situation where you're seeing trends go your direction. We've talked on, uh, you've talked on this podcast lots of times about 25 basis points. What does it really matter? So in this case, the impact to the psychology behind spending might be more beneficial than the actual negative impact of 25 more basis points. I think on the on the housing front, that's probably a key point in that. Like in, in January when they paused and they made it clear that they were pausing, housing came roaring back pretty quick. And if they 
send a similar signal this time. Now, I, that would be a mistake pretty much either way. I think no matter no matter what they do, whether they go or not, the door will be open to more hikes either way. And if they if they hike, it'll still be open to more. They I don't think they can send the signal that they're done pretty much at all until it's very clear that they cannot go any further and things are going the wrong way. Um, so either way, they'll expect them to be hawkish, expect the very front meetings to consistently price some odds of rate hikes, depending on whether they go or not. But they'll be they'll, it will be positively sloped for probably at least one to three meetings at minimum, and then maybe flatten out thereafter. But again, it looks like rate cuts are, are a long way off at this point. And Adam mentioned that the 1% to 3% band and, and 2% target, uh, I think they, they've made it pretty clear that 2% is the target. The band is not good enough. 3% is not good enough. Just being in the band is not sufficient. Uh, it's 2% or bust. And and if that, if that really is the way forward and, and core inflation, and, and I think this is very much overlooked by almost everybody I speak to that the, the the core inflation measures, yeah, there was some improvement in, in the May figures, but the three-month annualized rates are still in the three and a half to four percent range. And that's exactly what they highlighted in the statement as being too high. So there's some improvement, but you're still in the range and you've been there for nine months. And that is just not good enough. And and there's no clear sign there that you're headed for two percent. And so Another reason to, to, to go, and, and maybe I'm convincing myself that they should be hiking as we kind of work our way through this podcast, even though I was doubting that. But uh, uh, it, it looks as though that's uh, the way I'm leaning. We'll, we'll see what jobs do on, on Friday, though, and, and uh, kind of go from there. The interesting data flow over the past month, um, it's I mean, we, we've seen some softness in specific sectors. So like manufacturing has been soft globally. Uh, you can see it in all the PMIs. Uh, and services PMIs as well have, have backed off uh, somewhat, uh, at least in Europe for sure. And we'll get the U.S. services PMI on Thursday. So we're, we're recording this on, on Wednesday afternoon, just to, just to be clear. Uh, and, and the services side, I mean, we've seen some softness there as well globally. But most of the softening that, I mean, that, that I've seen is, is more on the manufacturing side. And that shouldn't be a shock with the shift from, from goods spending to services spending. Uh, there shouldn't be much of a surprise there. What... I guess has been interesting over the past month is is the backup in U.S. rates more than anything, uh, despite some more mixed data. I mean, things haven't don't look great, I don't think. But any any sign of good news on the economy, I think rates are quick to back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, fear of more Fed rate hikes in Canada. The story's been a bit different. Uh, Canada's rich in on a relative basis, and and uh, like U.S. tens nearing four percent, whereas Canada tens have been. Uh, pretty range-bound, uh, to say the least. Uh, can you walk us through why you think that's been the case over the past month or so? Yeah, it's been it's been uh, kind of interesting because we've we've been testing range extremes, but they've been on opposite ends. So like U.S., you know, that three eighty-seven level uh, held for a long time as kind of a local yield peak. That was sort of the range to trade in U.S. Treasuries was kind of ten years anyway. It was three eighty-seven down to you know, call it 362. Uh, and that range finally started to get tested and broke at the same time as the Canadian range in tens, which was 350 at 330 was breaking to the downside. And, and it's been a really interesting market because as yields have backed up total all in yields, you know, over the last month, we have seen a phenomenal amount of buying. We've seen buying from all kinds of account bases. The front end has been heavily you know, uh, international, uh, international real money focused uh, buying in twos and threes. 
We've seen uh, significant domestic demand for 10s, 20s in particular. 20-year sector has done particularly well. A lot of that's been um, LDI duration type buying uh, and 30s as well. So there's been a phenomenal amount of cash buying, which obviously has contributed to some of the massive Canada outperformance we've seen. I think there's also a bit of a street positioning trade. You know, going through the month of June, we had a lot of extensions going on. June 1, June 2, June 15, June 18, uh, month end, quarter end, uh, which all was, you know, net bond bullish. Uh, The street knows this. The street prepares for this. Uh, We saw that cash buying kind of come through. The market squeezes Canada to outperform. You get a drastic outperformance of Canada versus the U.S. I mean, you could actually argue that earlier in the month of June, we were too cheap. So you saw a lot of that get taken back throughout the month of June. And uh, on the other side of the coin, um, anytime that you've seen kind of a a made in Canada sell off, uh, as I've told all of my clients, it hasn't been a result of cash selling. It's been it's been futures led. It's been regular CTA selling, and you can see that in things like you know we talk about this CTD ten year roll, and that roll has continued to invert deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and it really highlights the tug of war that you're getting from CTA algos selling ten year futures against the cash buying that we're actually seeing, which is really serving to flatten that roll. So you know we've seen this story before. One, you know, notable takeaway I would say from it is that uh, the CTA algos are, you know, one bad data print away from completely flipping around. So typically the cash buyers end up winning this tug of war. But right now, you know, uh, that would also sort of favor steepening style trades in 10s, 30s. And none of that stuff has worked out. It's continued to flatten and flatten and flatten. So I think the the cash side is losing a little bit of patience if they have curve trades on, but typically just adding duration because it hasn't just been curve. It's been net buying of 10s, net buying of longs, net buying of 20s. So, and I do believe that, you know, over the long term, the cash buyers are going to win that tug of war. But today we saw the worst five-year auction in a quarter. So there is, there is something to be said for Lots of supply having an impact. The, the auction was $5 billion in size. I mean, it's, it's the third one of that size, so it's not like we haven't done this before. But uh, the, the last auction that was weaker than this was a 10-year, and then before that was was the other five-year. Um, so <laughs> obviously, um, bigger auction sizes are, are not helping here, uh, and, and, and plans to maybe grow those further. Uh, not not a great idea, uh, but it's not it, the cash buying. Obviously, isn't isn't overwhelming across the curve. I think it's more a little more focused further out the curve, and that that's what's helping drive that that flattening as well. Generally, and kept us extremely flat and still on curve. I, I see no catalyst, at least not immediate catalyst to, to steepen the curve meaningfully. Uh, like two tens, I just don't see what can move that. Uh, 10s, 30s, same. I mean, what you mentioned. I, I mean, that 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 probably has room to steepen a bit, given we're at the absolute extremes. But even on that, I still probably wouldn't be overly keen there. Uh, against the U.S., it's it has moved a fair amount. That box has gone from uh, the 10s, 30s box. It's gone from minus 30. It's now at minus 20 today. So we're through minus 20. So that has moved a decent amount and something we'll, we'll continue to highlight at the extremes. Uh, but just Canada on its own, yeah, it's it's hard to think of a near-term catalyst given the way the data have performed, uh, given the momentum. And on top of things, if you thought that Canadian consumers might run out of money, well, they're going to get another couple billion dollars from the government this week, pretty much over the next five to 10 days due to a grocery rebate to help them with grocery inflation. 
oh, is it not as if that money is not going to cause even more inflation. We really think through our policies here in Canada. Always brilliant. But yeah, so that that's going to add to income, add to spending. Um, so Q3 uh, will get a little bit of an income boost after uh, after after Q1 saw somewhat of a decline because uh, government clawing back some of the CERB overpayments in the pandemic. Uh, moving right along here and sticking with the rate theme, provincial spreads. We've seen with the curve inverting and with let's, let's start at 1030s, I guess, and, and you can talk about outright spreads as well because uh, outright spreads have have tightened a lot. Uh, we've also seen like the, the, the 1030s Provi box, Ontario box, not really steepen out the way you think it would with 1030s Canada, uh, flattening the way that it has. What's the dynamic at play there for the box and for outright spreads? Are we too richer? Have we gone too far or is there more room to, to rally? Yeah, so um, so first off, I'll kind of speak to, to spreads. I mean, um, in terms of talking to clients, the general consensus, I would say, is credit is too rich. All credit is too rich. Everything is a little bit overvalued. Everybody's looking for that crack, that crack in the economy, which is going to, to push things wider. Sounds like the stock market. Yeah. And well, and this is a view across the stock market as well. Like, you know, uh, stocks have melted up here. But, you know, we know a lot of the reasons for this. One is positioning. People are more defensively positioned. So the path of most pain is going to be a squeeze higher in risk, which, you know, maybe we look for that last gasp before it really does actually turn around. And maybe we haven't quite got there I need yet. to be buying and then it's going to turn Exactly. Around. Like I haven't gone and loaded my <laughs> PA up with a whole bunch of high beta stocks yet, but you'll know the day I do what's going to happen. So, you know, there's the account base and I'd say overwhelmingly is looking for that next crack and waiting patiently for it, but also losing some patience with, you know, a lot of these trades, if you're going into more defensive credits and you're going to own those defensive credits against, say, corporates, there are negative, these are negative carry trades. So, you know, your, your clock's kind of ticking on when, how long you actually want to own that. One thing that's kind of, and, you know, Provis are no different than this. So if you look at them on their own, Provi spreads are kind of at the tighter end of the range. But if you look at them against things like the U.S. corporate market, like uh, CDX, for instance, Provis have actually underperformed a lot. And so for something that would be, you know, a less risky, albeit, you know, maybe less liquid, but less risky view on credit, uh, Provis comparatively look quite cheap. I mean, another example of that now, and CMBs have their own idiosyncrasies with the potential cancellation of the program next year. Um, you know, look at CMB versus Ontario spreads in five years. We've been highlighting that for a couple of weeks now. I mean, that spreads all the way down to eight basis points. That's about as tight as that ever gets. And so, you know, uh, you are you are seeing these situations where higher quality credits do look fairly cheap. And so, you know, I think at this point, Provi's in the long end, probably still have room, or in 10 years, probably still have room to perform, just given where they are against, say, corporate credit. If you look at like 30-year utility against Ontario spreads, you know, that spread differential at the wides, that's like 70 or 80 basis points. You know, we're at 55 basis points right now. The tight end of their range is probably around 50 to 45. So we're definitely closer to the tighter end of that range. So I think I think Provis do have some room. And similarly, we've seen a massive amount of inverting in the curve, but that 1030s box, you know, has remained fairly stable. So, you know, if and when we do see some some reversion to the mean on the 1030s curve, that could be helpful for the box. How many basis points do, do, do spreads have in 10s and longs to tighten? 
What do you think? So five beeps, ten beeps. I, yeah, I, I would easily see. I would easily see ten-year provincials kind of heading. Ten-year Ontario's heading back down in toward the like 64, 65 area. So that's probably about five to six basis points from where we are right now. Uh, and longs. I mean, we've absolutely had longs in and around low eighties for sure. So you could easily get back down to eighty-three. Maybe as low as 80, but I think 81, if I remember correctly, was a pretty good resistance point. Uh, and so, you know, we could easily have, you know, nine to 10 basis points in longs to go. Risk on then. Well, yeah, ri- risk on. But even, even in a risk off environment, I would rather own these credits than I would say, you know, if that utility provincial spread is at 55, I would much rather own the Ontarios because I do think that they'll outperform in that environment. Mm-hmm. That makes makes good sense to me. Uh, so it sounds like you've already kind of given us your all your trade ideas. You got the got the CTD ten year old. We got utilities against Ontario's. We have Ontario's against CMBs. Yeah. You just want to upgrade credit and and maybe put a little bit of steepening on, just micro steepening. Uh, that. Go ahead. Why don't, why don't you lay it out for us? Even though I just spoiled everything. Yeah, I mean that's, that's you basically kind of summed it up. I mean, I do. I like that CMB Ontario trade. I think that makes sense, especially if you look at it versus the neighbors. I mean, that that's, in June twenty eighth, that spread is eight basis points. The you know mortgage originator selling is now going to be focused on these twenty eighth, not June twenty eighth. So you don't have to worry about these guys coming in and selling a whole bunch. Oh, by the way, when mortgage originators sell, it's because they need to buy back into the new issue deal. So uh, I also think. That with some of the questions behind the, the CMB program, I think you know some of the potential is there that you know it, what you'd expect to be in August, we're going to see a ten-year CMB that you're going to have a bunch of mortgage originators selling into that. I think they might look for other ways to hedge some of their rate risk that doesn't involve selling CMBs, so you might not see that big backup. So I think CMBs are primed for a move tighter relative to other credits. So so that's one that I really like. I like fading some of the inversions in long provincial boxes, like things like Ontario 46s relative to Ontario 53s. Those are about as inverted as they ever get. The Ontario 46s uh, don't have anywhere near the same roll-up. It's a part of the curve where we've actually seen a lot of LDI buying. So there is a natural demand for that 20-year sector. We've seen it in Canada too. I don't know if you've been watching what's going on in the long Canada rolls, things like 10 years versus 41s versus longs. I mean, a lot of those rolls have really ground in and we haven't seen the same move in Brovies. So I think on a relative value basis, some of that stuff looks really attractive. I'd love to go out there and say, put on a steepener and today's the day. But every time I've done that, I've been completely wrong. So maybe because I'm not going to say that, it'll it'll go my way. But uh, yeah, I, I still like the short end of the curve. I still think there's value in things like one years and two years relative to fives. I don't like fives, even though two fives, tens curve is, is getting kind of to a cheaper end of the range. But I think the, the negative roll on fives looks painful. Still historically rich, even if it's locally cheaper than it was Three months ago, uh, look at look at the bigger chart. It's still still not 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 a value proposition at these levels. Oh, swap spreads! I do like swap. I think Canadian swap spreads. I those have rallied like crazy. Uh, I think you're probably getting to a point now where it makes sense to take some sales. Like if you get tens, tens traded as high as 1975 ten year core spreads. That is extraordinarily rich by any measure. You know, even if you take take CEDAR spreads and go go all the way back, I mean, ten year constant maturity spreads look very expensive. What's interesting is conversely, U.S. swap spreads don't. They actually look fairly cheap if you can get things like seven year U.S. spreads back down around. Uh, I think it got as low as about negative thirty. I think today they're probably negative twenty eight. Uh, so you've got a little bit of a cross market trade in swaps that you can put on sell Canadian spreads buy US spreads. It's a mean reversion trade. But I think as we kind of go through the summer and mortgage growth 
slows down, I think you're going to see some of these bank treasuries get forced into receive to replace duration in the asset book. And that is going to push spreads lower. In that Canada. is interesting. Yeah, the mortgage the mortgage picture is something I'm definitely watching. Uh, we'll, we'll get some home sales numbers this week from the cities. And that'll, that'll give us maybe an early indication of whether the June rate hike had any impact. I mean, it probably shouldn't because people have the mortgage rates locked in ahead of time. But I don't know. You never know. We'll see if that, that pans out. And then uh, if they hike again this next week, that probably weighs a decent amount on the mortgage market. And then, yeah, you get that, that bank treasury impact uh, coming in and, and really pulling things down on, on the spread side. So uh, we, we shall see on that front. Adam, uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming on. Uh, one more show until I take the summer off, at least from podcasting. I uh, still still got to work, but uh, August is, is not a, a prime podcasting month in my mind. So how European of you? Well, I'm, I'm doing my best to be as global as I can. Uh, <laughs> so one one more podcast after the uh, after the next week's Bank Canada meeting, and then we'll we'll take it off. But Adam, thanks for uh, thanks for joining, and and I will have you on again in the next few months. Thank you so much, Ben. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.